The good Dr. Luke has this in chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, with this title, The Pharisee and the Tax Collector. You familiar with that? I think we all pretty much are if we're students of the Bible. But I want you to see something that maybe is easy to miss. And that's the point of the parable. What's the primary point of the parable that Jesus is teaching? I think we can look at the end of the parable and think it's there more than it is at the beginning. You know, he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. So we're looking at humility in prayer. And that's a good thing you would agree, right? We all should be humble in prayer. That's not the point of the parable, though. The entire point of the parable is locked into the first verse, verse 9, on righteousness. That's what it's all about. But here's what I want to give to you before we move into the preaching. If you're a visitor or you're watching by way of the Internet and you hear that word and you say to yourself, ah, oh, it's one of those messages for the insider. It's that insider language. I submit to you that's not true. Now, I understand when you hear the word righteousness, you have a tendency to think to yourself, that, that, that just doesn't seem to track. That doesn't even really track much in the church as far as church language. We hear the word righteousness and we sometimes think of somebody who's a little bit tight, you know, maybe a little narrow, a little bit condescending. That, that, that's, that's not true. We think of a cultural context back in the day in, in, in the commonwealth of Israel. And this made sense to those who were seeking God and, and, and serving God. So this righteousness thing doesn't speak to my heart. Not true. You're going to see the definition of righteousness and how it affects every human heart that has ever beat. Because you're going to see this, that every human heart desires for exactly what righteousness is. Approval, acceptance, and affirmation. And you're going to see that from the deepest possible biblical perspective. You ready? This is an exciting message that speaks to every human heart. No matter where you are today. Okay? Verse 9. Hear now the word of God. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, beat his breast, and said, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Pray with me. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning. Everyone by divine design, speak now into each heart, regardless of station in life. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort. For those in storm winds and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Change us. Conform us more into the image and likeness of Christ. And send us out from this place to be your hands and your feet. Come. Now, fount of every blessing. Clutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and Him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, 
three headings, very simply. The first heading is really the, the most powerful one. The story kind of takes care of itself. But the first one is the key. Under the title, The Pharisee and the Tax Collector, number one is the requirement. Know this. This is, this is God's requirement for all men. Everyone. Everyone who's ever lived. So Jesus is telling this parable, not for a small group of people, not to hammer the Pharisees. He's telling everyone that there's a requirement that I have given to all of you, to the entire world, and it's called righteousness. So we're going to take a look at the requirement. Then we're going to look at the wrong, wrong response. How do you get it? How, how do you become righteous? Well, there's, there's, there's a wrong response, and we'll look at that. You know who that one is, and then we'll look at the right response, okay? A couple things. In, in, in years of study, I come to the conclusion after a lot of seminary work and really good teachers, I used to think there are just countless, countless religions that are out there that you have to try to really figure out what do they believe, what is it all about, and I've clearly come to the conclusion, as many, many scholars have, there's two world religions. There's only two. There aren't a hundred, there aren't a thousand, there's only two. One is rooted in man, the other is rooted in God. It's just that simple. One is rooted in self-righteousness, the other is rooted in Savior righteousness. They're, they're, that's, that's all there is. That's the only difference between the two groups. One leads to death, and the other leads to life. That's it. We're going to see that in this parable today. We're going to see how do we get that. How do we get that life? How does that come to us? You ready? We're going to head out into some deep water, I promise, and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what is the requirement that Jesus is saying to everyone? That requirement is righteousness. Watch carefully. Verse 9, this is the point of the parable. This is the key. To, and this is not just for the traditional cultures who, who are religious and look to God. This, this is the key for every single heart that has ever beat. To some who are confident of their own righteousness... So there's, there's the key. There's righteousness. So obviously there's your own. And then it presupposes there's someone else's. But those confident of their own. And look down on everybody else. So I'm going to give you, if you look at the, the Greek and the Hebrew and you put it all together in righteousness. We're going to unpack it more deeply in a moment. Here's the best definition that we can really come up with that makes sense in any cultural context, but we're going to go all the way back to the garden and see it in just a moment. Here's what that term means in the Greek and the Hebrew. Approved, accepted, passing scrutiny. Go back with me to Genesis 2.25. Ready? Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. They were unashamed. Why? They were approved. They were accepted. They had passed scrutiny. In a word, they were righteous. That righteousness had been given to them by God. So, are we tracking? What does righteousness mean? We're going to go deeper in a moment. But it, it, it's to pass the test. And we're all involved at this at a variety of different levels in our lives, yes? Yes? 
Constantly seeking what? Passing the test, being approved, the scrutiny. Parents with your high schoolers getting ready to go off to college, what's the first thing you have to do? Send off your transcripts to do what? Get approved. You finish your college degree and you come out and you have to send off what? Your resume to get a job, to be what? Approved, to pass scrutiny. You meet somebody for the first time that you like. And what do you do? You give them your resume. No, not in a written format, but you do what? You try to get approved. You tell them stuff that you want them to know. The good stuff, leave the bad stuff out. Right? Because you want to pass scrutiny. You want to be approved. You want to be accepted. The human heart beats for this. Why? This is the way God has wired us. And that term is righteousness. But something happened. And you have the only worldview that explains what happened. Chapter 3. They saw, they took, and they ate. We don't have time to unpack all of that. The serpent speaks to the woman. They go to the tree that was forbidden. They saw, they took, and they ate. Now here's the results. Ready? Their eyes were opened, and they realized that they were naked. Pause for that. For just What do you mean that they realized they were naked? That startled them? They didn't know they were naked before? Imagine coming out of your house this morning, getting ready to go to church. You forgot the dress. Your neighbor says, hey, Sam, Sammy, Sammy, you don't have any clothes. You're naked. You go, huh? Had no idea. That one got by me. What is that? What do you mean they, they realized? They knew they were naked. What's happened? They lost the approval. The affection. And they no longer pass the scrutiny of the Almighty. So now they're exposed. And they sew fig leaves together to try to cover and to try to hide. Because they're no longer righteous in God's sight. And what do they do? They hide. There's the story of the problem that Jesus sets forth in the tax collector and the Pharisee. What is the requirement? In order to be in a right relationship with the one true living God, what is the requirement? Righteousness. You must be righteous in order to be accepted and to be approved and to pass scrutiny. And your heart beats for that. Every moment of every day, your heart it beats for it on the job. You try to get approved. You try to receive the applause of man. Go down the list of all of the things that we get involved in where we seek approval and we seek affection. We seek to pass scrutiny. We are constantly in the process of trying to what? Justify ourselves and our own existence. Why? Because the heart is desperately beating for something it lost in the garden. And not until Jesus shows up can you get it. Watch this. This is a universal problem for all people in all times, in every place. This is not just for the religious. This is the problem for every single person who has ever lived. Righteousness. Watch. When we lost our acceptance vertically, remember, when Adam and Eve fell, we all fell. We can't start to unpack original sin, but that's, the Bible makes that clear. We are the descendants of Adam. So as sons of Adam, we, he fell and we fell. We've lost our righteousness. When we lost our acceptance vertically, what did we do? 
we sought it in everything horizontally. Isn't that true? Of course it is. We're constantly in pursuit of acceptance horizontally. We're naked and ashamed. And we're constantly trying to hide and cover ourselves with our accomplishments and our achievements and trying to put forth that picture that makes us look better than we are. When we're seeking what? When we're seeking it horizontally. And that's what we do. Instead of finding acceptance in the one who has given us life, we now try to find it in the life itself. So the life that you live, you try to find acceptance in it. And that's what's going to move us into the Pharisee and his wrong response. But this is the condition of every human heart. Now, some people say to me, well, Pastor, I, 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 don't, I don't seek acceptance. I, 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 I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I say, okay, then you're a sociopath. That's all. Other than that, everyone seeks acceptance. I mean, that's silly. You know it right now, and you know all the things that you seek in it. I do too. I hope you like me. I hope you accept me. I hope you'll come over to the fellowship hall and say, it's good to see you today. Why? Because my heart beats for the same stuff that yours does. And this is the challenge of the human heart even after Jesus shows up. Because we're still in that battle against the old nature and the new nature. And it's not going to fully be eradicated until Jesus returns or until you breathe your last and are ushered into the kingdom perfected. So it is a battle that we must fight on every front, every moment of every day. This is righteousness. Okay, you ready? Now we're going to look at the two responses. This is really cool. Ready? Let's see this man first who is going to tell us something that is critical to understand how we live our lives. Remember the movie 1981, The Chariots of Fire? You probably really remember Eric Lytle's story. He was the Christian who refused to run on Sunday. Bypassed the opportunity to run for gold on Sunday. Wouldn't run. Went and actually preached in a church instead of in the Olympics running. Next day ran and actually got a gold. But there's another guy in the story. Harold Abrams. He was Jewish. And he was stuck on the horns of a dilemma as well. Not the same as Lytle's. He wouldn't run on Sunday. But Abrams had this burning desire in his heart for the gold medal. And staked even his very existence upon winning that gold. And he struggled with that in his heart. He was a Jew. And loved God, loved the Torah. Notice his words and see yourself in them. Remember, I've spent all week dealing with this. So it has been chasing me down day after day. So it's now it's your turn to be chased down. You ready? In one, here's what he says. In one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide in ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? What are you seeking in order to justify your existence? What is it in? If it's anything smaller than God, it can't support the weight. Some seek it in their marriage. Some seek it through their children. Some seek it at the office. Some seek it in their leisure. Regardless of what it is, if it's anything smaller than Christ, it cannot support the weight. 
It cannot withstand what it is. It will always fail you. So he says, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my entire existence. He did win the gold in the 100 meter. Now let's go deeper. Okay? Here's an old friend of the cross. 20th century German theologian, Gerhard von Rad. He was a professor in the University of Heidelberg. Listen to these words. There is absolutely no concept of the Old Testament with so central a significance for all relationships, all, as that of Sadiq, righteousness. Do you hear what he says? There's no concept biblically, none, old and new, that is so central to your very existence, your, your very humanity, in every relationship, vertically and horizontally, every relationship you have, than that of righteousness. Now, we're going to look at it in three contexts. Because remember, when you come to Scripture, you have to understand the context. So it can be spoken of in a couple different ways. We'll get to the context of this passage. But look at the first two. The first is relational righteousness. Okay, That's from the covenant. When one does what is accepted, so now you're loyal to the covenant. What would be a great example? I won't bring the scriptures up. I'll just give you the example. Abram would be a great example, Genesis 15. When one does what is expected, that's righteousness. You acted rightly. You, you did what was expected. That's covenant. Then there's ethical, the law. When one does what is right, you go from what is expected now to what is right. Loyalty to God's law. Now, the next term, I don't want it to catch you off guard because if you've ever watched the shows CSI and some of those shows like that and you hear the term forensic and you start thinking of it from a concept and you go, and this gets confusing. I want to give you the simplest definition that I was ever given on this next term. This is, this is the righteousness that we're talking about that Paul speaks of. We'll look at it in, in, in Romans in just a moment. But this is what Jesus is speaking about in this parable. This is the righteousness. This is not the relational. This is not ethical. This is forensic. When one is made right by faith as a gift of God as the lawgiver and judge. Okay? You understand the difference? Look, look, at, look, at, look at the three of them. The first two are something that what? You do. Something that you do. Okay? It's when, when, when you do what is expected or you do what is right. The third one, the third one, which is the one we need. The first two, if they're real, only flow out of the third one. But the third one, you don't do anything for it. It's forensic. It, 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 is in, it is given to you. You are made. You are declared. It was Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. He was declared to be right. That was a forensic declaration of God over Abraham. So this is, this is being made right by faith, not faithfulness, by faith as a gift of God, as a lawgiver and a judge. Okay? Got it? Now let's take a look at Romans 1.17. And this, this, this one here, Calvin, Calvin hated this passage till he understood two words. Many throughout the centuries till they understood two words. And then this passage, as Calvin said, was like a thunderbolt. It struck me in my heart. And the scales fell from my eyes. And I finally understood what it meant to be right before God. Watch. For in the gospel... 
The righteousness of God is revealed. Imagine if it just stopped there. That would be horrifying. Okay, I see the righteousness of God, but now what? I don't have that. How do I get that? What does one do in order to find himself in that condition? And here it is. A righteousness that is what? Say it. By faith. There it is. There's the key. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Got it? Now we're going to go into the two responses very simply. These are very brief. What's the wrong response? You just heard that your righteousness comes to you how? By faith. It comes to you outside of you. It is an alien, as the theologians will say, righteousness. It is, it is outside of you. It has nothing to do with you. It comes from the outside. We've talked about it on the cross, the double imputation. The imputation of our sin to Jesus and Jesus' righteousness to us. Okay, We are made righteous because of what Christ has done to us, and that is imputed to us by his cross work. Okay, So now, what's the wrong response? Jesus tells us in the parable. Here we go. 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. I put the word by. That preposition in the, in the Greek could mean a couple different things, so it depends on your translation, but I think by gives us the, really the deeper understanding. He has to exclude himself from everybody. So he goes off by himself. And then notice what he says. It's the only mention, one time, of God. God, and then he's now overwhelmed with himself. I thank thee that I am not like other men. Notice the word I. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Ever wonder why he doesn't compare himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He picks out the lowest on the totem pole and says, I, I, I thank thee I'm not like these guys. Or even, then he finds someone even lower, this tax collector despised and hated by everyone who was in Israel because they were Israelites who were conspiring with Rome and gouging their own people. So they were hated. But now he goes deeper. I fast twice a week. What did the law require? Once. A year. Yom Kippur. But he says, I do it twice a week. Now, later in the cultural context in the time of Jesus, first century, the Pharisees started fasting twice a week. They did do that, Mondays and Thursdays. But just notice what he does. He, he's, he's upping the ante. Here's what's required, but I go beyond that. And then, of course, he, he hits what is required on giving. And I give a tenth of all that I get. What's the problem with everything he's talking about? First of all, everything's about him. And then everything is out there. There's nothing inside here. Everything's out there. It's all about stuff that he does. And if sin is out there, and not here, if sin is there, how do we fix it? Either we stay away from evildoers and robbers and adulterers out there. We get away from that stuff, right? We withdraw. Or we stop doing that stuff because it's out there. So we just need to change our behavior. It's behavior modification. We'll look at heart transformation in a moment. But this is behavior modification. It's out there. You know what Dr. Sproul used to say? We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. You understand the difference? He keeps thinking it's out there. It's not out there. It's here. I've met the enemy. It's I. So here's what he does. He's looking out. Take a look. 
exclusion to empower himself. He prays by himself, and he says he's not like other men. So he's, ex- he's excluding himself. And by excluding himself, he empowers himself. You know what the sin of pride is? Comparing yourself to others. And who are you going to compare yourself with? Those who are doing better? Of course not. You find people doing worse. And don't you do that? Some of you are thinking you're not sure. You're no different than me. I'm doing it right now. And I see some of you who are doing far worse than me. And I feel really good about it. I know who you are. We all do it, don't we? See, we find, we look for someone who's struggling. And we say, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. I don't do what she does. And we feel better about it. As if God is grading on a curve. So he uses exclusion for empowerment. But he doesn't stop there. He goes deeper. He uses morality to magnify himself. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Ready for this? Here's probably one of the classic texts. I got this one from my mentor. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. How did we open? One religion leads to life, the other leads to death. There's only two, two, two religions. One leads to life, the other leads to One is man-centered, one is Christ-centered. One is self-righteous, one is Savior-righteous. This one here for this Pharisee is leading him where? To death. Then finally, Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous. No, not even one. So what is the issue? Is it humility in prayer? Well, we should be humble in prayer. But what's the issue? What's the parable about? What's the point? Righteousness. And no one is righteous by themselves. So we just saw how we can't get it. You can't get it by coming to church. You don't get it by putting money in your plate. You don't get it by serving. You don't get it by doing your prayers and doing your Bible studies. You don't, you, 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 you don't get it that way. You fast and you give and you pray. And Jesus says, no. Now, all of those things should flow out of the righteousness that you have been given, having been made right. It's it's not a reason for your righteousness. It's a result of your righteousness that flows out of who you are. You live out practically what you already now are positionally. But the wrong response is clear. What was... The word that was the problem in his prayer. I. You want to go further back to the original fall. Not in the garden. Where's the original fall? It's angelic. And the archangel was doing what? Same thing that the Pharisee was doing. I, 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 I. And he got the boot. And one third of the angels with him. So what? You got to get your focus off of what? Yourself. And you you put your focus on yourself when you're looking out at others or you're looking in at your self-righteousness. Okay? So we know that that doesn't work. That's no good. So now, what's the right response? Ready? But, oh, that's one of the believer's buts, and it's so important to understand this in Scripture. This is the word of contrast. This this guy says this. But now this other guy is going to say this. Watch what happens. But this despised sinner stood at, he also stood at a distance, but for a different reason. Don't miss this. 
He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast. Breast is the, the seat of the, the, the emotions, the thought, your whole life. So he's, he's acting out almost parabolic. He's physically acting out. Remember what the Pharisee, he acted out. He stood off by himself and prayed, turned, turned away from it and prayed to God. So he acted out exactly what he was saying. This guy's doing the same thing by beating on his breast and going off to the side. But he's doing it for all different reasons than the Pharisee. But here's the key. Don't, don't, don't miss this. God, have mercy on me. Now, your English translation wouldn't make sense if it said the, but those of you who know the Greek, you know why it's the word the. It's called the definite article. And what has he just done? But what, what has he done? Don't, uh, please don't miss what he just did. That word is the. It wouldn't make sense in your translation, so you read it as a sinner. He's not just a sinner. He says, listen, this, Jesus is telling the parable, so it's a story. And Jesus is telling the story. This guy compares himself to everybody, and he puts himself above everybody. So he has this, this comparison contrast thing, this sin and pride. I'm not like this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And even the good guys, I'm not like them because I do more than they do. So he's compared himself and put himself in a special category. What does Jesus do with this guy, the definite article? He puts him in the general category of sinner, but then elevates him in that category. He's the sinner. Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy? Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Do you see what he did? When was the last time you thought of yourself like that? The sinner. So what did he do? He, 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 did, he did the one thing that the Pharisee refused to do. The Pharisee looked out and looked in. What, what does the tax collector do? He looks up. He sought his acceptance, his righteousness by looking up. God have mercy on me, the sinner. And then what's, what's the declaration that Jesus gives us? And then we're closing. What's the declaration that Jesus gives us? He gives a declaration that drives the Pharisees out of their minds. What Jesus is about to say next is, is it's shocking. So now Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you the truth. This man, so he's talking about the, the, the tax, this guy, the tax collector, Rather than this Pharisee, this religious man, this good man who did a lot of good things, he did them for wrong motives, but he did a lot of good things. There's no one in here who could compete with the Pharisee. None of us could. In, 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 in the scrupulous way that they lived out the law, they really did do a lot of good things. They, 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 he said, I'm not an adulterer. I'm, I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not robbing. I, I'm, I'm not an evildoer. And, and I'm really kind of super spiritual. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything. Not just this, everything. But Jesus says, that guy doesn't go home just, this guy does. And then here's the key that most people leave for the entire parable, which is a mistake. It's not about the prayer. It's about righteousness. But the prayer is also powerful. For everyone who exalts himself will be what? Humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay? Let's go to Philippians 3, 8 to 9 and then we close. I consider, here's what Paul said. Here's, here's the reminder. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Here's the key. Ready? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Pause. That's the whole thing that the Pharisee was, was, was banking on. He was rooting his, his, his relationship with God and his righteousness on his ability to keep the law. 
Paul says, no. I, I, I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I can't earn that righteousness. I cannot find approval and acceptance, and I will never pass scrutiny. But a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God by faith. He got it. He understood it. And, and just so you know what this tax collector is asking in the Greek... The word mercy, it's not the customary term of just God showing mercy. You know how you've heard in some of the other stories, God be merciful to me, God show mercy, mercy on me, pity on me, master. This is a word of atonement. This Greek word that's being used, he understood the sacrificial system. You could go to 1 John chapter 2, propitiation. He's asking for God to make atonement for his sin. That's the kind of mercy he's looking for. That's the depth of his heart in knowing what? He knows behavior modification isn't going to change a thing. He needs a heart transformation and he can't do it. I can't change my own heart. I can change my behavior. I can, do, I can, I can stop robbing and stealing from my own people. I can start giving a tenth. I, 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 won't, I won't be an adulterer. I, won't, I, I can do all of those things. But I'm still dead because I can't change my heart. And it's the heart that has to be changed. I can't earn this relationship with God. I can't earn this righteousness. So how do we close? We'll go to Paul again and then we'll go to C.S. Lewis. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4. Listen to these words. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Can you say that? Can we? Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Why? My conscience is clear. Not that he wasn't a sinner. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. He knew that his righteousness would come from the Lord and the Lord would judge him for what he had been given. Not because of anything he had done. It was a gift from God. The power of the gospel was a gift from God. It was alien. Paul was as righteous as any Pharisee has ever, ever. He was more righteous than any of them. A Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day. He did everything the law required, and then some. And he said, I count it as rubbish. It is nothing. God will not accept any of that. I need a righteousness that does not come from the law. So now, Lewis, looking at that passage, writes these words that I hope will resonate with our hearts. And then we'll give the invitation. This same principle, being accepted, being affirmed, passing scrutiny, this same principle holds for everyday matters in social life, You will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making. Even in literature and art, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original, whereas if you simply try to tell the truth, you will become original. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. 
Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself. And you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Keep seeking approval, affection, and acceptance horizontally. And you will run into only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But here's the key, the right response. Look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. The acceptance that we all desire, the affirmation that we desperately need, Passing scrutiny, it comes through the righteousness of Christ. There's only one way to get it. So our final verse, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How? How? The Pharisee couldn't do it. How? By trusting in Christ alone. The perfect righteousness of Christ that is alien to all of us is given to us. By grace, through faith in Christ alone. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus says, come. You're invited to sit at the table to receive the righteousness that I earned on your behalf. I lived a sinless life. I died a sacrificial death. And I was raised supernaturally from the grave for you. And now I sit at the right hand of God the Father. Will you come to Christ? Will you put your doing down and receive the righteousness that will pass ultimate scrutiny? The righteousness of Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, right now if there's anyone in this sanctuary or anyone by way of the internet who has never, ever, ever surrendered control to Christ, give the gift of repentance and faith. And as you give that gift, you will have given the gift of righteousness. Father, if there's anyone who's never prayed, let's use today's prayer from the tax collector. For we are not saved by the words we profess, but rather by the faith that we possess, having it been given to us from on high. So we cry out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Lord, for the rest of us, some who've walked for decades, help us to see this truth that once we have been made right, once we have been given the power of the gospel, then and only then can we begin to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Only then can we begin to do what is expected and live out righteousness covenantally and do what is right and live it out ethically because it flows from the righteousness we received forensically, the gift of God by faith. And for that gift, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Do you all stand with us?